You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knesset, and today we're buzzing into episode 131. And uh, Fran, I don't have anything written down for follow-up here, so <laughs> yeah. do, did we have anything to follow up on that uh, we promised our listeners? No, we don't. And, and the weird thing is we're just kind of out of order because mm-hmm. we did our live podcast, which hasn't even aired yet. Yeah, um, yeah. And everyone will hear that or will have heard this yeah. already by this time. We just recorded a buzz last le- week. Last week. That aired. That hasn't. That's aired. That it did already. air. Yes. But then, oh, we're in the mental pretzel right now. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> this week. We're just uh, yeah, all mixed up. episode of Randy Echo airs. And then, uh, then you'll hear this a week from, uh, a week and a day from the day we're recording this. Yeah. On a beautiful Thursday. It's uh, nice and warm, about 67 degrees outside. You are getting ready for yeah. vacation. I am, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Do you leave this weekend? Are, uh, because it's going to be like in the 70s We here leave this weekend. weekend, and um, as people are listening to this, I'll, I'll be on a cruise ship. Uh, I think in, I think I'll be in the Bahamas at that nice. point. So All right, awesome. I maybe on the way back. I don't know. I've never been on a, <laughs> a, a cruise ship before. I always joked around and said I'd never get on a boat I couldn't fish off of. Um but I'm doing it, and, uh, and I'm excited. So. Amazing what you'll do for your family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. No, there's there's really no follow-up. It's, uh, we haven't had enough that time. That we can remember. Ha- yeah, well, <laughs> no, there, there hasn't been enough time <laughs> to true. pass to have a follow-up. So we, we just barely got everything posted on social media, and here we are doing it yeah, again. Yeah. So, so yeah. I guess we just get right into that song. Yeah, let's get in the plans for vibing with this week. Uh, would you like to go first? I can go first. Uh, my plant you, is without. I just got to say, without seeing this, I posted a picture on my Instagram today. Oh no! About, way. Yeah, yeah, without it's. I was like, oh, what a great choice! I didn't even think about. Yeah, that. yeah, and it's. Um, I was really struggling to come up with something because I'm like, oh, what haven't we picked yet? And uh, what's seasonal? I've been eating a lot of persimmons. Which you picked uh, not that long ago, so I think I like yeah, like two buzzes. So I ago, couldn't I think. pick it now. Um, although they are delicious, and uh, I don't, I don't know if I like them better than pawpaws or not. I, it's they're different. My only gripe, not not that I'm one to complain, is I wish they were bigger. Like, you know <laughs> okay. what I mean? Because there's a lot yeah. of seed per yeah, each yeah, one, per so fruit, you take yeah. it per fruit. You're getting a lot of seed, and the mm-hmm. seed's pretty big. So, you, not that you're working, I just. Yeah. Would like to get a big. So now that's probably my favorite part of eating a persimmon and pawpaws really? is actually cleaning off the seed. Well, I the, do it has like, that, like that. that little like slimy coating on yeah. it, and I like the skinnish. Yeah. This is, makes it sound really delicious, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> no, it's got like a. Uh, I'm trying to think of that fruit that looks like an eyeball. Also makes it sound delicious. Um, <laughs> I'm blanking on the name, but it's like got like this like slimy thing over the seed. Yeah. It's ta- that tastes yeah. good, but you kind of like. Yeah. Pop it a little bit with a tooth, and yes. you can unwrap it yeah. with your tongue, and uh, and it's just like a little little game you can play while you're while you're eating. And I'm a big fan of persimmon, and it it appears that that this year is a big for some reason it's There's producing a, a lot, lot of, of fruit. Them. Yeah, yeah, so. and they sure are good. 
But uh, that's not what I picked because you picked it two weeks ago. <laughs> so or two buses ago. So I picked uh, Great Goldenrod, which is Saladego Nemoralis. Very nice. And um, a little bit of a blurb from from Jersey Friendly Yards from our friends over there. They wrote Great Goldenrod features showy yellow flower clusters which bloom on one side of hairy leaf stalks. Uh, July through October, the nectar provides a food source for native bees, honeybees, and butterflies. Gray goldenrod is a host plant for ben- beneficial predatory insects, which prey on garden pests in your yard. The dried seeds provide a food source for birds in the fall and winter. Use gray goldenrod in butterfly gardens and naturalized areas of your yard. Uh, I also included, this was from uh, the website Grow Native, um, it's named gray goldenrod because of the stem is covered in gray hairs. Huh? So, um now, why I picked it is it's not really blooming anymore. I picked it more for the seed heads because the seed heads also are fairly ornamental. Even though it doesn't, like the plant doesn't look like much brown and dried out, those seed heads provide really interesting, like, well, literal fluff for for different pictures. And just, like, it adds a different texture that you're not going to get in other times of the year. So it's a, it's really, really a beautiful plant this time of year. If you can appreciate that, like gray seed yeah. head, fluffy seed head, so and if it is still blooming, you know what what struck me was that the amount of pollinators that are still feeding this time of the year, mm-hmm. and it's I, I think we don't always focus on late season blooming native plants, yeah. for pollinator purposes. Like we always think about, it's nice to have color mm-hmm. this time of the year, but you're thinking of fall foliage. But yeah, those yeah. those flowers really are so important, and like you notice the bees and everything on them right now. So mm-hmm. it's if it, it, it's important to add. It's important to remember mm-hmm. that yeah. hey, there's this is more than just beauty. There's there's a purpose for it right now. Yeah, exactly. So and Fran, what did you pick this week? I picked fragrant sumac. Um, mainly, you know, I it is the the fall color, and and I I took this information from an episode of a native. Uh, native plant every day with with Tom and Fran. So uh, brilliant orange to red or or even purplish red fall color can get anywhere from two to eight foot. The the native straight species you're looking at six to eight foot in my opinion, maybe five to eight foot. The uh, cultivar Grolo is going to be in that two to three foot range. It is an upland plant. Uh, it spreads by root suckers and forms thickets in the wild. It does like sun. It likes part shade and likes shade. Um, male catkins form in late summer and persist through the winter uh, until eventually blooming in the spring. The fruit is red and it's uh, pubescent, which is hairy, and subglobose, which is not quite globe-shaped, quarter-inch diameter. Berries persist into the winter, attracting many birds, including robin, sparrows, goldfinch, and chickadee. And it's also the host plant for the red banded hair streak butterfly. So you have the catkins, you have the fall color, you have mm-hmm. the berries. There's just a lot going on, uh, and it's a it's it's a pretty hardy plant, and if yeah. you need something to establish well, it 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 does establish well. So it just, I was thinking, I was like, man, we we've been selling a lot of them lately, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things. I'm like, yeah, it gets love, but not as much love as I would like to see it. Yep. You know, a lot of people want that grow low because they want it to stay low. I understand that purpose, uh, but the natural form is just, oh, it's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, I always love the the scent of it. Yeah. It's just like an alluring scent to me. Um but yeah, and I've to be honest, I don't know if I've ever seen like a a mature one that wasn't a grow low. I 
Or maybe I have and I just didn't know it was. Well, I guess it wouldn't have been a mature one. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time but. when grow lows being planted, it's in mass. Mm. Like it's huge masses yeah. to uh, like I've seen it on slopes or hillsides mm. to, to yep. stay low for visibility. But, um, man, when you see like mature, mature street species, it's pretty, pretty eye catching this time of year. So yeah, I was cool. thinking about adding one to my property. Speaking of plants. That's one I've property, wanted to add too and I haven't yet. You know, we – We've, we've talked about this here off the deer are just destroying my mm. my landscape this year and i don't know i don't remember deer tolerance on this one yeah so what were uh, you gonna say you were talking about i, I didn't mean to cut you off i'm sorry oh adding i have property no idea oh yeah i want to add one to my yard too but um but i haven't yet yeah that was I, that was all i was gonna say <laughs> you know it's um you know we've always had deer and mm. and they've they've nibbled and i don't know if this is a sign of what the winter's going to be mm. but just over the last month pretty much everything i had whether it's deer tolerant or not is is being yeah munched down right. the the only exception is they're not coming all the way up to the house mm-hmm. they're they're keeping like about a eight foot buffer interesting like five to ten foot yeah. buffer but anything was there beyond, any like new development in your area because i'm just thinking about the nursery here we didn't have any deer pressure in the nursery until they actually uh, created a park, which yeah. allowed the it it got rid of the hunting pressure that was next door, yeah. and um, so it became like a sanctuary for the deer. Then they got a little more brazen and would walk across the field over to our place too. So there there is a natural area that my property butts up to, mm-hmm. um, Timber Creek. So along Timber Creek or close to it, like a couple miles down the road. There's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of open areas, but they've become warehouses and they've become uh, like townhomes and condominiums. Yeah. And uh, I think it's that herd that you see come by has gotten a lot larger. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of lot of uh, baby deer. Yep. So yep. it's, it's just hard. I was like – it was – you know, it's – I've always heard – this but never had to experience myself about deer pressure mm-hmm. and it was everything that we've tried to establish is not getting established yeah and it's yeah. it's it's a hard decision to make like where do i go from here like what what can i do to make this work um because i want it to work you know i could easily plant non-natives and have no like that's the only thing not being touched mm-hmm. in the yard but that's not what i want <laughs> so, yeah 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 so it's 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 difficult, and then yeah, the like the fence and net and all that kind of stuff is. You want wildlife, right? Yeah, like you, you want, want you want the wildlife on it. It's in some regard, but even then, it's like it's doesn't have the aesthetic. Like, I guess it's short short term in the grand yeah. scheme of things, but I guess some of the abrasive stuff is never going to get that big. So you're just always dealing with with deer brows. Now, deer can walk through my yard. There's mm-hmm. nothing stopping them, and I was debating whether or not to kind of make a grass boundary, like a tall grass boundary, mm-hmm. uh, just maybe preventing them from just strolling through. Yeah, I don't know if that makes a difference. Well, I know with a lot of like for, for creating yeah. deer habitat on properties, you'll want that tall grass because yeah. they like to hide in yeah. there. Yeah. So it might even attract, attract them, them in, a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, you could plant a bunch of Phragmites. <laughs> I don't think they like going through there as much. <laughs> but no, it's uh, or or if you did um, 
some kind of not a, not necessarily a bramble, but something with thorns, like yeah. your, your roses yeah. and that kind of stuff. That was it was. That's so the funny. one thing they're not touching is yeah. the pasture rose. It was so funny because we had um, I was sitting in on a. There's a lot of development going on in our town, and I was listening to a joint land use board meeting, and they're about a proposed uh, warehouse. And uh, they had a retention basin, and they're talking about, oh, how do we keep the kids out of the retention basin? I'm like, oh, are really that many kids going in the retention <laughs> basins anyway? And then someone's like, oh, we can put a fence around it. We can do this. We can do this. And then so this this old-timer just, like, chimed in. He's like, the only thing that's going to keep kids out of there is if you put something with thorns on it. It's <laughs> like advocating they plant a bunch of, like, blackberries and roses and stuff with thorns because then no one's going to want to run through it. But, uh yeah, no, yeah. it just made me think of that. Yeah. You know, it's it's just funny. It's one of these these conversations that our listeners have with us all the time, yeah. but I've never had the firsthand speaking experience thorns, with it, how difficult though, it can be. Yeah, speaking of thorns, I just saw on Facebook the other day someone had put that, or maybe if someone tell me, I don't remember exactly where it came from, but was saying that how they protected a lot of the plants that they wanted is they planted things with thorns around them, yeah. and then you wouldn't have things coming in and getting yeah. them. Um, so maybe that's your answer is incorporating that kind of stuff into your landscape, which I can do that. Yeah. That's not a problem. The other, the other issue that we're having is since we've been cleaning up invasives, the invasives are also on the neighbor's property also on mm-hmm. both sides. So we're just trying to keep them at bay and they're on that border yeah. and it's just hard to, Yep, it's yep. hard. They're okay with them. Like it's yeah. not like I can just go over and say, "Hey, do you mind if I remove those?" And it's it's probably more than what we can handle. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh that the challenge is real, yo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, I I completely get it. It's just, but we really haven't had an issue until this last month, and it was like enough damage almost overnight mm-hmm. that was disheartening. And it's I I understand everyone that we've had that conversation with. I, I truly understand. Oh, yeah. So I'm trying to figure out what what is less desirable mm-hmm. than others. And it's like some things they'll go out of the way for, some things that they hadn't touched all year now all of a sudden. They're, yeah. Like elderberry, they hadn't bothered all year, and now all of a sudden it's it's gone. Yeah. It's interesting too because especially as you get into this time of year when the harvests are starting to happen in more agricultural areas, um, that's – kind of the end of the buffet for a lot of deer and then they have to move into wild areas and eat there yeah. now they've eaten a lot of that already because that's a preferred food source and the the ag and landscape stuff was kind of holding them over and um i remember hearing that when when a, they find deer that died of starvation they aren't their stomachs aren't empty it's full of like twigs and cedar boughs and all kinds of stuff they don't want to eat like yeah. There has no nutritional value for them, so but they have to eat something. They're yeah. browsing animals, so they're just eating, eating, eating. It doesn't matter if it has no nutritional value or not, just because they need to eat something, and then they end up dying, and they're, but they're stuffed. Like, they're, they're literally, their stomachs are stuffed. They just had nothing that gave them any nutrition, and that's why they die. And that's where it comes, like, when you think about the idea of deer and, like, the overabundance of deer – and um, what we should do about it is letting them – I get to put this the right way. Yes. Letting them just uh, continue as they are because this is the deer and part of nature and natural. The whole herd is suffering. It's not like if if deer are dying of starvation, it doesn't mean, oh, well, these ones got to eat well and the rest of them 
like struggle. No, they're all struggling. They're all malnourished and they all look really bad. So they're all suffering by having too many. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what the answer. You get in some of these like rural areas like here. Okay, yeah, you have a hunting population of people that can go out there. You have coyotes that are backing away and they'll eat the fawns. Um, although the deer really adapted to that. That's kind of yeah. fawn predation by coyotes is kind of overstated. Yeah. It doesn't really happen as much as people hunters say it does. Um, but uh, I know there's some like, what do you do in where you live? Or yeah. like, in, there's no hunting where yeah. I live. It's what the, do you do in in like suburbia in, in central New Jersey where you, there's no place to hunt? Yeah, um, like there's plenty of places for the deer to live, but they still have those same challenges where they don't have that high nutrition forage they're looking for. One of like one real eye opener for me was back this is going back to the early 90s when i was landscaping and we were doing work in northeast philadelphia so Mm -hmm. think like row homes like we're doing work and the the property we were working on was um it backed up to the the philadelphia police horse stables so Mm -hmm. there was maybe an acre of open land and we were working and we turned around and i i stopped counting it like 200 deer wow like out of nowhere it went from zero to 200 and there was – I'm like, so where are they going? There's an acre. Yeah. Like there's no woods. Like the population keeps growing. Something's sustaining them, and it was everyone's landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a real – they were there. They were eating. They browsed. They were gone like that quickly. Wow. But with there were so many. Like we, we literally stopped. We were taking pieces going, I'll count this section. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was crazy. So – and you're not hunting there. You're not mm-hmm. hunting in northeast Philadelphia. Yeah. So it's – um. It's just really out of whack. It's just – Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't know what the – you know, because part of me is like, all right, so what if everyone here planted all natives so that all the food was here? Then it could mm-hmm. – then I'm like, that's not really solving the problem. That's just sustaining a larger population. Yep. You know, and it's – And we talked about it on here before that in our area we had uh, an outbreak of EHD, which yeah. is a disease, and a lot of deer died because of it. But even if you had 100, 100 deer per square mile and it got reduced to even 20, and half of those were does, well, just in one year, now all of a sudden you're up to 30. Yeah. And then if half of those are does, now you're at the year after that. Even if some are dying in the mix, you're that it only takes a handful of years to get back to that population yeah. level that you were at where they're, they can't, they physically, there isn't enough food on the ground for them to, to yeah. have more at that point. So it's a uh, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. I mean, we could fence, but we don't want to fence. That's a, we don't want to put up a privacy fence. Mm-hmm. We, we'd rather not. We want it to naturalize it, and we want it to have wildlife. It's just yep. we're, we're realizing. And I did have you know the one plant they kept eating every year was cranberry viburnum. I mm-hmm. have a tree protector around that one, but uh, no, it seems to be everything. The oak leaf hydrangea are almost almost wow. gone, almost wow. gone. So. Eh, enough of me complaining. I should have played my <laughs> yeah. Should have played my theme music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but we do have our our next segment, which is uh, this week's botany based current events. So uh, let's move on to this or that. So we do have a winner. There weren't a lot of votes because it hasn't been posted that long, but we do have a winner, and the winner is. 
Tom is back on his winning streak, two in a row. You won five to three. It was a, it was a real. I guess that's a baseball score. So <laughs> it was, it uh, I guess the World Series will be over by the time people by listen. By the this, time but, you hear this, um, the Phillies were your your World Series champions. I hope I'm not jinxing that by, <laughs> by saying that now. Right now, while we're recording this, it's two games apiece. The Eagles are playing tonight, which are still undefeated. Hopefully, they're still undefeated, and uh, the Philadelphia Union are in the the uh, championship. So and the I'm Flyers hoping... are uh, are not great. I don't think they're not <laughs> doing bad though. They're not they're not horrible. So eh, give them time. It's a long season. <laughs> <laughs> but, so Fran, um, you get to choose. You want to go to first? Choose. Uh, I think I will go first. Okay, yeah. awesome. And um, I had a really fun article this week that just Ooh. happened to pop up uh, on my news feed and uh, I couldn't resist. All so right, go for it. It was titled a new way to fight Lyme disease. Uh, it's, I, I always say Lyme, Lyme disease, but it says Lyme disease. I think it's is Lyme. It, is it just Lyme and I not Lyme's? I think it's Lyme. Okay. I knew the Y was in there. I'm not but, positive, okay. but I think it's Lyme. Starting over a new way to fight Lyme <laughs> disease. Prescribed fire. Setting fires in eastern U.S. forests could combat rising tick-borne diseases while also making forests more healthy, say scientists. It was written by Warren Cornwall, and uh, this came out in Anthropocene Magazine on October 26th, uh, just uh, uh, last week at this point. Um, As always, I'm going to read a little bit, then I'll kind of give some of my thoughts. Please do. So, uh, starting here. People hiking through tick-infested forests probably know the drill for avoiding tick bites and the diseases that can come from them. Wear insect repellent and long pants. Don't wander off the trails into the dense vegetation. Check yourself afterwards for pesky hitchhikers. Uh, here's another one that doesn't find its way in the most lists. Set fire to the forest, which I love. <laughs> I love that one. Um, while not advisable for average civilian, this strategy could make forests in the eastern U.S. less tick-friendly, according to new research. We believe there's an opportunity to reduce the number of ticks by using prescribed fire to restore the health of the forest ecosystem, says Michael Gallagher, an ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service Research Lab in New Jersey. Pinhead-sized parasites might seem to have a remote connection to the landscape-changing forest fires, but tick-borne diseases such as Lyme disease add up to a major and growing health problem. As many as 60,000 cases are reported in a year uh, in the U.S. Uh, I was one of them this year. Uh, such planet-changing glo- forces as global warming are thought to be contributing to the problem as rising temperatures make more places hospitable for ticks, but less attention has been paid to the role changing uh, forests may be, the role changing forests might be playing, argue Gallagher and five other scientists hailing from the Forest Service, Pennsylvania, uh, Penn State University, and New Jersey's Department of Environmental Protection. So they scour the scientific literature to understand the links between ticks and fires, when Europeans arrived in North America, eastern forests tended to be spacious, airy landscapes filled with widely spaced pine, oak, and chestnut trees. Frequent low-intensity fires set by lightning and indigenous peoples burned off the fallen leaves, debris, and underbrush. Um, I always say in the beginning, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll read it, and then I'll give my thoughts. And then I end up just giving my thoughts kind of <laughs> along the way. <laughs> so That's all right. There's I don't no- know why I keep saying that, um, but I'm, I'm going to give some thoughts here. Thinking back to the the episode with Dr. Dwayne Estes yes. and the Eastern Native Grass Symposium, that's what he described is you had this kind of like pine savanna or oak savanna where it was a lot of grasses and forbs and the trees were really spaced out. You go to the, the New Jersey Pine Barrens, I think of now, and in even just the forest around where we are in New Jersey, but most of the most northeast, really high stem count. Yeah. You're not, yes. if you look up, you are not seeing much light in, in the summer. Um so it's a, like, and that keeps the ground uh, more humid and more moist. 
So when you had the light intensity, it was drying things off a lot more. Um, but I, it's interesting seeing that here because it matched the description that that Dr. Estes had described, which it would make sense he would give that description because he did a lot of historical research on the topic. <laughs> so going back to the article, uh, such a landscape could pose problems for ticks who thrive in moist environments with moderate temperatures and lots of underbrush, which they can climb to latch on passing victims. These forests of old were drier and less overgrown and would have been hotter in the summer and colder in the winter. When they were when there was less vegetation to act as insulation, the scientists reported in a recent edition of Ecological Applications. Tick numbers have, might have fallen at first when Europeans pushed indigenous ha- ha- inhabitants out of the eastern forests. That's because many of the forests were felled for timber, timber and fuel. But starting in the 20th century, two things happened that would reverse this trend. Eastern forests began to regrow as people left their farms for cities and switched from wood to other fuels such as coal. And land management agencies such as the U.S. Forest Service adopted a policy of extinguishing extinguishing all wildfires. Uh, Those changes helped create forests that have uh, more built-up detritus, more bushes, and more dense tree canopies. Scientists have a fancy word for this mesification. Uh, For the purpose of the new uh, research, a better term might be tick heaven. Oh, I like that one, too. I like that. If I could help reverse this phenomenon, Gallagher and his colleagues argue, they point to past studies such as experiment in Georgia and Florida that showed tick numbers fell in parts of the forest that were burned. At the same time, prescribed forests bring on other benefits, including creating more habitat for some species, promoting more wildflowers and grasses, removing fuel from for catastrophic wildfires, and making forests more resistant to insect outbreaks. Today, land managers intentionally set ablaze just a tiny fraction of more than the 700,000 square kilometers of eastern forests. In the southeast, they burn about 28,000 square kilometers per year. The northeast, by comparison, is a slacker at just uh, 1,300 square kilometers. So don't switch your pants for shorts quite yet. <laughs> so, it was a fun article. Yeah, um, it is a the fun The Anthropocene Magazine tends to, to make things, even though they're scientific and can be a little yeah. bit doom and gloom sometimes, they kind of make things uh, a little bit fun to read. They're well-written. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, I hadn't heard that correlation that I remember where by using forest fire, you're actually creating habitats where ticks don't thrive. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. Like ticks like to be in that undergrowth where it's, it's moderate temperature and it's, uh, it's cool or it's cooler, it's moist. And that's not how our forests used to be. It's how they are now. And it's uh, but I've I've been an advocate for. Well, we need to kind of replicate this model, um, of what they were like when indigenous peoples were managing them, not how uh, Europeans and colonists managed them, and how we're continuing to manage them now. Um, we don't need to cut them all down. You need to cut parts down. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I think fire is. I've been a really big advocate for fire in the Northeast. Just uh. Like, but there's there's states like New York State. It's banned. You can't do it. I know. So it's uh it's something we need to really. I think research like this helps to promote it even more. And it's something that this has been a part of our landscape for ten thousand, well, real ten thousand years of human introduced fire. Um, even longer when you think about natural induced fire. Yeah. I think it's something we have to do. But how do you do it? Going back to our dear dear, question, yeah. How do you do it where Fran lives? <laughs> In, you, you can't, South and Jersey not that or, there's enough there to do anyway, yeah. but it's uh, it, it's difficult. But it's difficult. you have the the tick issue, yes. um, where you live, uh, and 
if you guys probably remember the promo for was it uh, Dear People, right? Yes, what was the name of the Dear Human, Dear Human. Yeah, where it was talking about ticks in Long Island primarily, and um, it's not necessarily that the, they're getting Lyme from the deer; it's that the deer carry them a lot further than the mice can, so then they're spreading a lot more rapidly. But they're getting it from the mice, so it's yeah. Like, what do you do? You still have the tick problem there, and uh, is it? Now you have really isolated populations of the ticks. The ticks eventually are going to get eaten by possums and skunks and that kind of stuff, and eventually it kind of starts to fade away a little bit because the populations can't move as far. Um, although deer do love fresh, uh, fresh yeah. burned sites, so yeah. all that new regrowth is really high nutrition value for them. You know these these uh, these are really important findings. And it's important to continue to have the conversations because a lot of times you hear these conversations, but it's not always an educated conversation. You know, you need the scientific facts to be able to progress some of these things to do to do more of this or to try more of this or just try to even understand it better. Um, we've we've really come a long way, I think, and it would be nice to see a little bit more of this in the the Northeast. I know it's difficult. I know you're dealing with different ecosystems too, so it's I don't know. Where like I I know there's prescribed burns in the Pine Barrens and that's probably a a good place to start. Mm-hmm. But there there's a lot of other places too where it could do so much good. Um, yeah, I, if you're on TikTok and uh, and Instagram and Facebook and you're probably seeing native plant talk, Kyle Ibarger is out there doing a lot of burns right now. The Southeast does a lot of this stuff and they have been for for generations. Um, People like to think they're a little slower down there, but they're real way ahead of us on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's a it's something that we really need to embrace. Um, Smokey the Bear was an important figure. Yes. Like there was a, there was a reason because people were not extinguishing uh, fires, but it was one of those things where it went a little bit too far. We overcorrected, and now we kind of kind of bring it back a little bit. It's um, well, like fires. Ev- like everything. We you, yeah. you overdo. Yeah, you, you, you overcorrect the other way, and then you find the middle yep. ground and. And it just seems like that's a common theme for most of our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm thinking uh, specifically about uh, when we talked with Perry from uh, mm-hmm. Glacier National Park, like where it's like, oh, we're just going to prevent this from spreading. We're going to take out all these yeah. these native yeah. plants here and it can't spread. Not necessarily the correct. Yeah. I understand the, the reason. The ones I always, I always, and it still happens today, but it's like, oh, yeah, we have this issue well, spotted lanternfly is a great new like yeah. example now. So we have spotted lanternfly, and one of the solutions is, oh well, let's bring in its predator from from uh, where I was from, from China, I guess. Um, and I'm like, well, now you're just bringing in another non-native insect, and while it may keep the spotted lanternfly population in check, what happens when there's not enough spotted lanternfly and is it going to find something else to eat? Like, well, what's going to happen there? And, and the other one too, which is which, which makes sense, but again, you know, you're like, oh well, tree of heaven is its mm-hmm. natural host. We'll get rid of all the tree of heaven because that's killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. Because you know that's a, a horrible invasive here. But if you remove that, they do like a lot of native plants for host it, too. Well, it's it, I probably does the same thing is what we were kind of talking about with pesticides last week. Yeah, is you okay? You get rid of the tree of heaven. The ones that are going to become more uh, – reproduce more, those 
spotted landfly that will start to reproduce more are the ones that feed on other things. Yeah. So now you have stuff that doesn't oh, care about tree heaven and cares about silver maples they, and all that. They the other like stuff. silver maple, grapevines, so, things like that. Not I'm not saying yeah. necessarily native, but they'll like they'll go to the yeah. wineries. They they love maybe silver maple. Maybe we're speaking out of turn here. We aren't the experts on this stuff. But that's always what it, I feel like so many times we've had, oh yeah, we're gonna bring in this other thing to take care of this thing that wasn't We'll here. bring in this other thing um, or we'll get rid of this other thing. Yeah. And that will take care of it. Doesn't it just makes things out of whack? Yeah. Yeah. So But uh but yeah, we need to no one I'm not advocating that anyone goes and lights up their backyard tonight. But it's no, <laughs> but it's like saying, Hey, we need but, to take care of mosquitoes. We're gonna spray and kill all mosquitoes, but you're killing yeah. all their predators and everything. There there's always like a knee jerk reaction yeah. that overcompensates. When whenever I talk about fire, I say Oh yeah, you you need to be scared of it, but you shouldn't be afraid of it. It's recognized that it's a tool, and it's a scary tool. The same like if you're using a chainsaw, yeah. it's a scary tool. Yeah, it can do it a lot of damage. That's why you need to take the necessary precautions and make sure that you're you shouldn't be afraid of it, but you should be scared that and make sure that you're taking care of anything that goes wrong, I agree. So, or could go wrong, trying to prevent that beforehand. So this is yeah, great article. I and and because I didn't mention at the beginning the the. The vote that you won five to three, the articles from the last buzz where mine was on the drought in Maui from black mm-hmm. and native plants and yours was on the Paw Festival in Ohio mm-hmm. and and more about that. Not yeah. just, I'm just boiling it down. But my article this week, this one just happened to pop up for me too. It, it was after a conversation that Tom and I had about uh, the Native Plant Society of New Jersey. You will have just heard – our episode with Dr. Randy Eckel, who's the president of the New Jersey Native Plant Society. Um, and this article is Native Voices Were Finally Heard at California's Biggest Native Plant Conference by uh, Jeanette Marantos of the LA Times. And it was nice to see that this was in such a prominent uh, newspaper also. Mm-hmm. Something's happened in the four years since the California Native Plant Society, CNPS, had its last statewide conference. The state's premier environmental group dedicated to the preservation and celebration of California's native flora finally got the memo about diversity and inclusion. In 2018, most of the 900 attendees were affluent white folk listening to presentations from mostly white members of the state's environmental establishment, namely researchers and scientists scientists from universities and government agencies. This year's conference in San Jose sold out with 1,200 attendees, the largest gathering in the organization's 57-year history, and at least a quarter of the attendees were students and were people of color, beneficiaries of about 50000 in funds donated to improve uh, racial and age diversity at the conference, said Liv O'Keefe, the organization's director of public affairs. This year's conference radiated inclusivity. Starting with the introduction of CNPS's new executive director, uh, ecologist and former U.S. diplomat June Bando, the first Asian American to hold that post. Pronoun preferences were prominently displayed on everyone's name tags. When queer attendees discovered there wasn't an official gathering for them, they quietly spread the word about the LGBTQ mixer and the 26 people attended. Uh, community science was celebrated. Lay scientists were included as speakers. Uh, speakers and for the first time native people played a significant role not just as attendees but as speakers and presenters at multiple sessions as part of cnps's quest to include new perspectives such as traditions of many california native people who call for respectful human stewardship of native plants there's a growing understanding that the 20th century conservation movement is the byproduct of colonialism that idea that humans created the problem in nature, so nature has to be protected from humans, O'Keefe said after the conference. 
But that mental model is changing. There are people across the world giving voice to the intersection of humans and nature, how we have to think about protecting ourselves and nature together because we're in this together. The changes at CNPS have been evolving for years with the formation of committees to address issues like equality or equity, justice, and indigenous engagement, said Chris Sarabia, conservation director of the Palos Verdes Peninsula Land Conservancy and CNPS's president in 2020 and 2021. Uh, we still have a long ways to go. In general, the whole conservation movement has a long ways to go, but we're trying to build a path that others can follow. The new priorities were on full display at the conference starting with the opening ceremony on October 20th when Alexi Sagona, a UC Berkeley graduate student and member of the Amamutsun tribal band near Santa Cruz, challenged attendees to rethink their relationship with nature and how land is managed. Sagona is firmly planted in the practical, his doctorate work in environmental science policy and management, but his dissertation on collaborative management and land access for indigenous peoples contain an essential spiritual piece. For us… A lot of natural resources are cultural resources as well, and we think of them as relatives, he said. Colonialism caused us to see our relatives as resources for exploitation. The struggle between indigenous and European perspectives came up repeatedly during the conference, even during an $80 a plate celebration dinner that was also sold out with a menu created by the Chia Cafe Collective, an indigenous grassroots group that published a cookbook called Cooking the Native Way, Chia Cafe Collective. One of the cookbook's authors, Tangva, cultural educator and artist Craig Torres of Los Angeles, said he was taught to see plants and animals as natural relatives, not natural resources. We learned that uh, stones were the first people to emerge on the earth, then the plant people, and then the animal people, and who was last? The humans, and we were given the major role to take care of everything that came before us. It's hard to imagine those views getting much traction at previous conferences… But the whole conservation community is going through a sea change, Bando said after the conference. From a place that really emphasized certain types of formally acquired expertise uh, to the recognition that we need to broaden the types of expertise that inform our work. One example, increasing research that supports some native traditions such as the value of controlled burns in cleaning out wildfire fuel. Meanwhile, Sagona focused on the value of using land trusts to help tribes without federal recognition reclaim access to some of the ancestral lands. His tribe was splintered years ago by colonists and missionaries, he said, but creating the Amamutsun Land Trust on about 50 acres of their ancestral lands has allowed alienated tribal members to rediscover their dormant traditions such as gathering plants for medicine and basket making, performing traditional ceremonies, and stewarding the land by removing invasive trees. The process is healing, he said, especially to members fighting addiction because it gives them purpose and direction, but it's also challenging. Small tribes such as his… We'll need partners and or funding, he said, because they lack the numbers to manage large tracts of land. So far, non-indigenous locals are skeptical about what we will do, and there are also stereotypes about Indians building casinos that come into play, Sagona said. The driving question is what changes are needed to support indigenous access to their ancestral lands? So the article continues to go on. They they offer eight takeaways from the conference, uh, which was a three-day conference. Mm -hmm. And then they also offer upcoming conferences uh, that you may find interesting as well. It was just – I love the process that they're going through, and I love the attention that it's getting in that area. Mm -hmm. And it's it's nice to see that it sold out and had 1,200 attendees. I love to see the thought of how land should be managed and, and equity and inclusivity. And I think that's a conversation that's not had enough. And it was nice to see it on prominent display. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's an important part that we've we've brought up here. Um, yeah. How important it is to talk about how indigenous peoples dealt with native plants. Uh, it's something that I wish we've talked more about on our podcast. Yeah. I just got a couple of new leads too on on people we, we can have on for that as well. And we've we have reached out, not with a lot of success. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not that we've given up, but yeah. No, I just got writers. a a couple. I I actually I think I mean might even talked about it. Was um, did I talk about that documentary I watched the other day about indigenous people and how they dealt with food? I can't remember what it was called. Uh, I think I, uh, I think I, I talked about remember. it on the go grow read a book, but it wasn't a book. Okay. Um. Anyway, there's some people in there that I've reached out to okay, awesome. as well. So hopefully we're going to have that on soon because that's been another whole yeah. we said, hey, it's really important, but we haven't talked about yeah. it here yet. So, But this is just another reason that makes Native Plant Societies important, mm-hmm. and I love these conversations are happening. This is something that we just keep talking about, but they just keep bringing them to a broader audience. Yeah. Um, and the more that we can include – the better that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we, it, we say it a lot. We it's native plants for are for everybody, and um, it's been nice to see uh, a lot of these native plant groups, um, including our own New yeah. Jersey Native Plant Society, kind of stepping away from being like a gardening club and more into like I don't want to say an activism club because that's not what they are, but something who's like you're talking more about. It's culture philosophy. and usage culture and, and philosophy, yeah, philosophy yeah. And, and all that kind of stuff. Broaching the, hey, if you have a, a sunny site with acidic soils and you don't have deer around, this is a great plan yeah. for you. Like the, that A to Z, I, I find those to be the most boring thing. Some yeah. people love them, and yeah. it's just it's a personal taste. Yes. But um, those A to Z talks where it's like starting with with Agrostis alba and ending with Zizia. Um, is there a, Z, a Zizia? That yeah. ends with a Z too, but, but, but listen, I've given those talks. Yeah. I get it. I, I I do get it, and some people like them, and sometimes they're necessary. Mm-hmm. But this is more important conversations yeah. that should be had and are being had. Um, and it just spotlights some of the work. And it's I'm excited to see where this goes. I like I want a year from now get the follow up article mm-hmm. to see where it goes. Yeah, definitely. Maybe can, can we do a uh, field trip where we can do a. California is our fifth largest uh, podcast true. market. Maybe they'll have us out to to give a presentation next year. We can do a live uh, podcast from the the California Native Plant Society annual meeting. All right, I hope with, I hope someone that's a member of that if they is can listening. comp airfare and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll we'll handle the hotel. Yeah. If you can comp airfare, we'll 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 get the hotel. But uh, no, it was just it was nice to see we we've been having this conversation internally, mm-hmm. and it was just nice that this kind of came across came across my computer at the same time and I was happy about that. So glad I could share. So make sure um, we'll have these up uh, over the weekend mm-hmm. and uh, make sure you vote because. Yeah. And of course the choice is yours. All right. Not too bad. Yeah, that was good. So and one thing I'll add, friend, yeah. is we actually just had our New Jersey. Uh, I always say New Jersey native plant side. It's technical name is the native plant side of new jersey. jersey yes i just always screw it up i do too but um i'm guilty we just had their uh their in addition to the episode we held where randy plugged their annual yes. conference their annual conference was on november 5th yes. so i think you're able to go on their website and actually watch so i think they record them and you can put them up and watch them later i know I they have other so. talks throughout the years that you can 
you can go back and watch later. So if you missed it, which I'm sure you did, if you're from New Jersey, I'm sure you went and you watched. But if you're from out of state and you didn't know that was going on, go in uh, and log in to their website and um, and you can look up those talks because they have some really, really interesting uh, things that are coming up. And, and Randy mentioned that also just happened. Randy mentions too in our conversation about how the the Native Plant Society in New Jersey benefited from COVID yeah. with with membership. And I, I'm I'm sure that most of these organizations are experiencing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So while you have the audience, take advantage of it. Yeah. We can have some of these important conversations. Yep. So, yep. so Fran, we have some uh, listener shout outs to do, huh? We do. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. That means if you have a shout out, that means we got a five star review. That's true. That's true. We did get a five star review, and Fran was very excited about this five star review. I was because uh, <laughs> he is a, a Simpsons fan. I was also. I used to watch Simpsons when I was in high school. I used to watch it every every night, and um, but I did not know this character. Yeah. <laughs> that, so like it's a, it's a play on it. So they just deviate it. Or so. it could be a play on it. it could be their real. Their real name. No, I don't but, think. Although that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. But, uh, and Frank, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but it's uh, Joey Jojo Sr. Shabadoo? Yeah. So yeah. The, the character on The Simpsons is Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. Uh, so I like that, um, the little play on the character that you're Sr. Shabadoo. And um, they, they're they also Canadian. Uh, if we, We've had a lot of Canadian listeners on here, even though we often forget about our neighbors to the north. They do have native plants as well. Yes. And um, that uh, they're listened to another native plant podcast, uh, which is called The Field Guys. And then they found us about a week ago, and they're really loving it, and they're starting from the beginning. Oh, so, ooh, that's that's commitment if you're yeah. starting from the beginning. Yeah, you're going to hear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations six months from now on, on being, uh, being our listener shout out. So. Yeah, that's. I guess they listen to the field guides and in defense of plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oh, that's one. what I yeah. of P is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, they just yeah. put up a post on. Well, they reposted a post on Persimmons as well that they put out in 2015, but they reshared it on their Facebook page. I saw today. We re- so. recently, if if you follow any of our social media or if you're a member of the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook, we just shared a a, a small video on persimmon because it is persimmon season right now. So, but uh, man, if you're starting from the beginning. I really hope you get to where we're at now. <laughs> I, hope mm-hmm. you, I hope you hope you don't give up. Um, my listener shout out is to uh, Rob Dolge, who is with the uh, NJDOT, who was here with a, a group of colleagues uh, this past week uh, for a tour of our uh, nursery and seed fields, and uh, he we got into a conversation about the podcast, and uh, that he was a listener. So I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, we always really appreciate it because that's that's something you don't have to do. I always appreciate when it's uh, someone that that's a colleague of ours that yeah. I find out. Listen, actually, yeah. I'm always a little like, "What did I say wrong?" <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, at first, yeah. when when someone says they're a listener, but then I'm always very thankful that yeah. that they're listening. One I'll bring up too, just because he said this before, you were there, um, but just outside in our parking lot earlier, we had uh, Jason Smith from the New York oh, Restoration yeah. Partner Partnership uh, Pro- Project Project Partnership Project. Project. And um, who's a past guest? You can go back and listen to their episode, which was episode I don't know was sixty seven ish. Ooh, it was pretty somewhere early. in that range. Yeah, but um, but uh, he was saying he still runs into people who's like, oh yeah, I listen to your podcast. People that's in awesome. the field, so that's awesome. You know, I was looking back when this person said they were starting from the beginning. I went back and I'm like, so how many episodes was it before we started using Zoom? 
Oh, yeah. And it was pretty much the whole first year we were doing it by phone. And I'm like, all right, so when did we get new equipment to where it actually sounded good? And I'm like, oh, man, that's really only been the last the last year. Yeah. Because I think we got the new equipment like December of last year. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, that's right. And um, I will correct myself. It was not episode 67, although I wasn't that far off. It was episode 52 was with Jason Smith of the New York Restoration Project. So, that that was a while ago. Yeah, that was a little bit ago. So almost a hundred episodes ago. We're but it was up on really that. nice to see. I didn't realize Jason was going to be here today, so it was a nice surprise when he walked in the door. It's always a, a pleasure, especially after the years of COVID, mm-hmm. seeing familiar faces that you don't always get a chance to see. Yeah. So, so Fran, I don't see any questions. No questions. Why we why skipped the topic any, this week? Why yeah, is anyone calling? I think your number might be broken. <laughs> I wonder if that could be the case as your number got disconnected. Yeah, the, uh, the Google voice number got disconnected from your phone. So it's not uh, updating I'll, I'll, I'll have to look. <laughs> I, I've had that happen before with uh with my Google voice number. Really? I've had it this like it, all of a sudden I stopped getting notifications and I had a backlog of Yeah. I wonder if there's someone people. out there going, "Man, why aren't they reading my questions?" They looking. promised me. They, yeah, they promised prom- me. They told us no. Here. We're getting no. missed calls, but no new messages. Yeah, they probably, they probably want to re up our car's warranty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our our warranty is about to expire. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I'm. I can guarantee you that I'm actively reading at the the very moment that people are listening to this. I've been reading a lot of books, so I can bring back the grow read a book segment. All right, uh, awesome. but I don't have anything for right now. And uh, but you do have a really interesting take it or leave it that I would love to get into. Someone posted uh, this topic in our mm-hmm. Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook, and uh, one of our listeners said they would like to hear more about it. And I don't know a whole lot about it, but I wanted to approach it. I kind of did a little bit of reading, and that topic are bee houses. Yeah, I would say I also don't know a lot about it, but I know enough to know that. I'm out. I am. I am leaving them. <laughs> I'm leaving it. Well, you know, in research, they were as soon as you, as soon as you start searching mm-hmm. bee houses, all the articles about the non benefits, yeah. how they promote. You, they can't really be clean. They promote parasitic wasps and and other parasitic insects that they're not really. Cl- it's almost like the slum housing of of bees and. And we've kind of had this conversation before about bird feeders that maybe the best way to feed birds are creating bird habitat. So like that's why I was kind of like bee houses sound like one of those things where maybe the best best thing to do to create active bee populations is mm-hmm. is creating bee habitat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's one of those things someone's trying to profit off of um, – a- a buzzword, an even yeah. way to make it easy, yes. like an easy button, and um, and uh, there's, I, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's people who are doing that. this yeah. the right way, yes, and they're, I agree. but then there's also people who are mass producing these and just getting a bunch of bamboo, cutting it on both sides, so it's yeah. like what six inches wide, yeah. three inches wide, something like that, putting in a fancy looking house and uh, and selling them for nineteen ninety nine, and um, yeah, and then you're. So you have an uneducated consumer who's going to go buy them and say, ooh, I'm helping the bees. But then you have issues with disease buildup year over year. They're not getting cleaned out. Is it really – or is are they all the same size? Are they different sizes? Yeah. You need different sizes for different kinds of bees. If you all have the same size, it's only going to be the same 
Same with birdhouses. Types of bees, yeah. Like, there should be different size holes for different size birds. One yeah. of the things I've seen, and I don't know how well this works, is like if you had like a down log and you just take a couple different drill bits and you you drill holes, in, and that's just something in your yard. You have a, a dead tree, yeah. you do some of that. Um, a really easy way to do it is just when you're doing your, your garden cleanup at the end of the year, just trim everything, but don't cut it all the way back. Mm-hmm. Leave it like a foot to 18 inches um, or more. And you could even do varying heights to attract different pollinators. And then they'll, uh, they'll overwinter in the hollow stems. That's a probably the if you have yeah. the flowers already, that's the easiest way to do it. You know, one of the things that, that stuck out to me with our conversation with, with Dr. Randy Eckel was when she mentioned, you know, people are like, I'm going to plant this for butterflies. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, and then they're the first people to cut it all down when yeah. it's done blooming and rake up all the leaves and they're destroying all the habitat. Like they, they know one part of how to save them, but they're taking away everything else that they need. Um, and I feel like this, the same way, like we've had so many guests talk about incorporating snags or, or leaving down branches or down logs to create habitat for all these things. And you really want to create that balanced, you, you don't want all bees you, you need that balanced ecosystem, and it has to be in check. So you kind of have to have a place for everything so that they can balance out. Um, you need predators. You need prey. You need – prey needs to be able to hide. Predators need to be able to roam, and that's mm-hmm. the only way you're going to have the, the balanced relationship. Yeah. This is uh, another another one I need to add to my meme list of, of memes to make. All right. Is is the picture of the bee house and then the Ralph Wiggum – going back to The Simpsons. Yeah. The Ralph <laughs> Wig- Wig- Wiggum waving and saying, I'm helping. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, and no mo may. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just it's, yeah. It's just like it's it's the, an easy button, and does it work? Maybe a little Maybe bit. Maybe a little but bit. It's I'm not saying it's a horrible yeah. idea, and I'm not. There's saying... better ways that are probably cheaper and also. The equal amount of effort, maybe slightly more effort. Yeah, I'm not saying to throw away your bird, bird feeders. I'm mm. not saying to do this. I'm saying you can build up to maybe. Those aren't as necessary. Yeah. Like there's creating habitat and creating food source and, and continuing that food cycle or life cycle for so many different things is going to help all of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't supplement, I'm not saying they're bad or wrong, just saying the best thing. Like it's I like I recently saw someone posted on Facebook. It was all these things that you can put out for birds over the winter. None of it was native plants. <laughs> yeah. Like none of it had to do with habitat or or native seed or native fruit or anything like that. So it's I even tried to, you know, if if you're creating habitat and berries for birds, have things that they like more than others. So like chokeberry is one of the last things they'll eat, and it tends to persist a little bit longer. Have it so it's spread out, so there's food throughout the winter. I know that may be more than maybe you don't have a lot of property, maybe you can't. Pl- don't you don't have a lot of money and you think bee house is a way to go mm-hmm. you know bird feeders is a way to go but it's um it's part of the conversation just yeah, know the, that it's not a bad thing but yeah. there's better there's better things yeah it, i i'd expand upon that and say it's not necessarily a bad thing there are better things but it can become a bad thing it if you don't be. do it the right way yes um is not just a put it out there and and forget it i guess the same you can Another one I got to add to my my meme list is uh is is hummingbird feeders, yeah. and yeah, like oh, yeah, that's people think they're they're doing the Lord's work with hummingbird feeders, and it's really not not really yeah. doing that much, um, and maybe even hindering 
more than helping. But, but maybe like an early iris or a midsummer cardinal flower or a, a late summer hibiscus, all those things are things that hummingbirds like without having to have a feeder. Um, because it, what is it with the feeder? If it's there too long, the sugar content builds up too much. Oh, I don't even know. I yeah, just like they're supposed to be feeding on on nectar and then you and insects too. But, and then you have uh But there's something about sugar the, water. the solution in there that if you yeah. let it sit too long, it becomes too sugary and it's almost like giving them caffeine. Like it's almost yeah. too much. You know what I really I heard really helps that is you add a little red dye forty and then <laughs> it cures them right up. <laughs> Oh, this is yeah. this is a a podcast yeah. for this is for um yeah if if you haven't figured it out in the last hundred and thirty episodes, Tom is a real hater when it comes to some things. <laughs> cats don't talk to me about cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's uh you know we we've been so busy and it's it's I feel loopy. I I yeah. really feel loopy. I'm sure I'm not giving you my best podcast, my best friend, but it's uh. Yeah. You you mentioned bird feeders earlier. Yes. Um, and one of the things, one of our former employees, he retired, but one of our former employees had mentioned, and eventually someone else told me that he had heard about it through him. I'd never heard about it until I heard it from this guy, but was, how come there's no, like, native bird seeds? Like, you look at the yeah. bird seed you're buying for your bird feeder, and it's, as far as I know, it's primarily non-native species. Yeah. Um, and he's like, if the birds like the native stuff better, why is no one making a native bird seed? And it's like, oh, maybe that, maybe that's an idea. Yeah. I would like to see research done on that and see, like, if you actually had the choice and they had your sunflower, regular millet, that yeah. kind of bird seed mix. And then on the other side, you had some native species. What would get more visits? What would be the spe- like, kind of like what well, Mount Cuba is doing with some of their flowers? Maybe I'll do this in my backyard. I will say this. So going back four years, um, my wife had bird feeders. Mm -hmm. If you look at the average species that was coming to the bird feeder, it was starlings. Mm -hmm. You know, it was non-native birds that were primarily feeding from that seed. Not saying that you don't get native birds that feed from it too, but it was mainly non-native birds. So – um, but we've increased the the habitat for birds in the backyard, mm-hmm. and the the winter food source completely changed. The bird, now, diversity yeah, as well. but it's also creating different habitat yeah. as well. I will say that mm-hmm. I know it's not just the food; it is the habitat. Yeah. Like you create more understory, mm-hmm. you're bringing in different birds. So we've we've changed the habitat, which changes yeah, that yeah. up. But it's uh it's changed what we see in our yard on a regular basis. Yeah. But yeah, that was just something I was thinking about is like if cuz one of the other complications with why are we talking about bird seed? But you you brought it up I and did I bring it up. It, oh, I I'll did bring it up. But um I one feel- of the complications with it is you have some okay, the bird brings it away and it falls out of well now you're spreading some of these non-native seeds too. I don't know if they cook them first. I would imagine they don't. That just seems like an extra step they don't have to do. Yeah. But um, another thing, I don't know enough. I don't know enough I, about birdseed to speak educated, but I have some strong opinions already. I was going to say, I feel like this episode, <laughs> I've done a lot of talking about things that I'm not educated on, with a lot of very strong complaints and opinions. 
That's me. <laughs> <We're... laughs> we just want you to think. You need to explore your brain. Open your mind. <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't uh, even make you, that joke. You would think uh, you would think this is one of those episodes where we're trying one of your hooches. Yeah, oh, I, when I was home for lunch, I was going to bring back the violet hooch. Oh, okay. And I forgot. All so. right. Next buzz um, after your vacation. I guess so, we'll do, yeah. We'll do the violet hooch. Yeah. All right. Yep. So. All right. Well, listen, I promise that the next buzz will be a much better episode. Yeah. I promise. Well, I thought this was a great episode. I thought this was, was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But I hope everyone else. You have anything like else to say about Bee House's friend? No, I got nothing me, else. Me neither. I All think right. we've, we've gone enough time today. <laughs> I do too. Um, that's going to wrap us up. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pines Nursery. Thank you, RJ Comer, for our buzz theme music. It wouldn't be the same without you. You can uh, buy or stream RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. But make sure you go over to Pandora and check out his Americana playlist. Uh, you will be happy that you did. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, call us. Our, our question and comment line is quiet. Uh, call us at 215-346-6189. Uh, ask a question. Leave a comment. Say you like us. Say you agree. Say you don't agree. Uh, we'll take it all. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And uh, we'll answer your question or comment yeah. to the best of our ability. One of the things, Fran, is I no one's taken advantage of this yet, but we we don't say. I should I should rephrase that. You do say we will play it on the, on the buzz, and we probably shouldn't promise that. There's only someone been... might say something one time, and we're like, yeah, yeah. I don't you know. know if... We there was only one message we haven't played, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It, because I, I really feel as though the person called to really have a conversation with us, not for it to be played on the air. Mm-hmm. So uh, we did kind of externally have a conversation. So it wasn't yeah. really meant to be played on the air. We have played everything, but we haven't been put in a situation yeah. where it was so, something that we couldn't play. So, yeah, I, I will rephrase what Fred We'll try to play it. We will <laughs> play it as long as you don't say something. If you if you're good, if you if you're good little people out there, and don't give us anything bad to play, we'll put it on. Yeah, we can tried. say you can tell us how dumb we are. Yeah, and that's that, okay. I'll and play have that. A valid take. We'll put that on. I'll play that. Just don't say anything like. I'll play that and may mm-hmm. ne- may not even try to defend myself. <laughs> I may agree with you. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll try to play it on a future episode of the Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. And uh, keep it, the Native Plant Healthy Planet Facebook group just keeps growing. I'm really happy and proud of all the conversations going on there. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. I finally put up something new the other day. Oh, I haven't looked. Um, and I'm hoping to get some more up by the time this airs. But I finally put something. Well, I don't look, Fran. I'll save you all the right. time. Okay. Um. Actually, I'm, since I don't have a secret, I'll use that as my secret. All right, all right. So awesome. I'm going to pause on that for a second. But okay. say so you can go and find merch up there. There's going to be new stuff on soon. Uh, the dragons are coming. Um, <laughs> so, and you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast at that website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. But you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Fran, are we on Amazon Podcast? We are. Okay. Yeah, we you can listen on yeah. Amazon too. I don't know. I if think anyone... you can hear us anywhere. Yeah. The uh, Pandora, you can listen. Mm-hmm. I'm pre- the Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran isn't on Pandora. Mm-hmm. 
and it might not be on Amazon, but I know this is, yeah. you can listen to this one anywhere. Yeah. So, and you can listen to us ad free wherever you, you listen from, uh, not because, uh, because we're, that's on purpose. It's, uh, we just haven't gotten any advertisers. No, <laughs> so. actually we, we have, we ha- we had someone reach out to us, but for some reason we didn't get a notification. Oh, okay. And it was one that we would have really? accepted. Yeah. Uh. It was for another podcast that right now is a top, top three podcast. Really? Oh, uh, interesting. In nature on, yeah. on Apple. But it was a limited, like they, they sent in a request for us to mm-hmm. advertise. And typically we get an email. Yeah. We didn't get a notification. And by the time I noticed it, they had already pulled it. Gotcha. So oh, well, that's unfortunately, a shame. Yeah. I don't want to say who it is because we didn't air it. Yeah. But, um, I no, do no free ads. No free ads. You, but I do oh. want to say that um, I did mention a native plant uh, every day with Tom and Fran a couple times this episode. The plan is for those of you that thought maybe we forgot about it or it was going away, it should be back next spring. We plan on mm-hmm. recording episodes all winter. So that yep. we, we have a couple months worth. It may be a yearly thing where every season is like April, May, and June. Yeah, we just try and know. get as many in as we can and uh, and make it a season. So yeah. that that is going to happen. I, I can guarantee you that. It, I don't know when it will start, but it will probably start in the spring. So mm-hmm. we get a couple uh, a couple weeks of episodes ready. But yeah. that's already – the wheels are rolling on that one. Yeah. So. And so, what's what's your secret? Okay, so I, I went and um, – and, uh, and tried to put something up. I did put something up on on our uh, our spring page okay. that people people would buy. I was like, "Oh, this is an interesting idea." I don't know why I didn't think about. It. Well, I do know why I didn't think about it sooner because you couldn't do it before. Okay, all right. They released some new products that you could choose from on spring to put custom designs yeah. on, and uh, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." They put up aprons. I'm like, "Oh, oh okay." How cool would it be working the the grill? Cooking up some uh, some puffball mushrooms and it says yeah. eat native plant. Now that's not a native yeah. plant, but but just so like something about forging. So I our eat native plant shirt logo yeah. I took and I put it on an apron and um, got an email saying we launched your product. Uh, and was, oh, this is awesome! Great, it worked. <laughs> Finally, I did something right. Yeah. And then I got an email like five minutes later saying <laughs> your product is in violation of some copyright code. Really? <laughs> like, and they were taking it down. <laughs> and I'm like. Okay, I guess uh, I'm gonna have to challenge this, and yeah. I haven't I haven't done gotten around okay. to doing that yet. But because um, yeah, I don't know what it could be copyrighted on. I I even Google the phrase "eat native plant." Yeah. Oh man, did someone copyright in the time that we've we put that? And it's just, it's literally just big block letters like that just say "eat native plants." Yeah, it's nothing serious, and um, no one not no one copyrighted that I found. But you know, a couple times we thought of phrases and we checked and they were copyrighted by someone who did nothing with it. They did yeah. it 20 years ago and technically it's not mm-hmm. copyright infringement anymore. Like that enough time had passed yeah. and nothing had happened with it. But I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah. So at some point there will be aprons. Um, right. I, I mentioned before there's a new hat creator that is about to launch. It'll be yeah. launched by the time this airs, but it's not launched yet. Yeah. Um, so I'll finally be able to make some hats because a lot of people have asked for hats. Um, I have some new t-shirt ideas rolling around. It's just been, fi- again, it's finding the time to sit down and actually make them. Um, but yeah, I have some, some interesting stuff that All right. that's coming up for, for people. I like so, it. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. I'd buy one of those aprons for when I'm grilling. Yeah, exactly. I'm not much of an apron guy, but that's also why I have stains on every single one of my clothing. Is uh I have cert anytime I wear like for for those of you that don't work yeah. with me, I wear all black and blue mm-hmm. and 
basically black and blue. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, partly because I'm colorblind and that's easy for me to match. But anytime I wear something light colored, I have clothes that every time I wear them, they get stained. Yeah. I never yeah. get stained any other time. So like if I'm grilling, maybe I can wear some light colored clothes, get an apron. I'll be okay. I was going through um, like like similar to Fran. I have like a clothes that I, this is all I really wear. And it's um, I wear a lot of uh, off-brand polos and uh, a lot of quarter zips. And uh, and so I'll have like a different polo every day. And I save certain ones because I have a stain like that's in the exact mm. same spot on every single shirt. Because it happens anytime I have anything with like a sauce or like a, like a sandwich and maybe yeah. it's got a little extra mayo on it or – or um, that happened a lot lately, and uh, or any kind of like pasta sauce, anything like that. I get a stain in the exact same spot, like right here. Yeah. I'm like like little maybe a foot low below my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> there's I, a stain uh, on every single one of my clothes, uh, and uh, I'm in the, at a point now. I save all the ones, the polos that have stains. I'm like, oh, I'll wear this with my quarter zips over the winter because I've only worn this shirt <laughs> once, and I can't justify throwing it out because uh, I got a stain in it that I can't get out. I have pants that every time I wear them, they're stained within ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I will say this: every dog that your parents have owned, I have a tendency to wear a light colored clothing after it rains. Mm-hmm. And the dog is oh, like, gosh, yeah. like the the dogs never jump except for when they're wet. Yeah. And I'm always wearing white or something like that. It happens every time. I don't yeah. know. That's, well, I got to do better at planning my, my yeah. wardrobe. That was a good secret too, friend. Well, that's going <laughs> to wrap us up for today. Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. Uh, and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. We will have a guest next week. I don't know who it will be, but we will have one, and you'll get to hear them then. And uh, we'll see you again next time. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.